This is Two Girls, One Mike, the show that talks about the holes and plot holes of your favorite porn. Welcome to Two Girls, One Mike, the porn cast that dares to ask, where's the DILF porn? Where is the DILF porn? I'm your co-host, Yvette Dontremont, and this is my co-host, Alice. Alice, how are you doing today? I'm great, but you're right. Where is the DILF porn? You know, I feel like I'm getting to that age where... I don't know. I kind of want to see some hot dads, of course, minus the children. Um, <laughs> never really been into like seeing a dad hold a baby. I, I feel it's like, okay, great. Give that away. That would be strange. And that, that- <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I think this should be a child free zone. I think that I'm not making an unreasonable demand on this. Like it's, I don't know. I'm not okay with it. But I here's the question. How would we know what is DILF porn? Would we have dad bod? Would we have gray hair? I feel like it would just be gray hair on a guy that two days ago was in a, you know, eight barely legal porn and, you know, was portrayed as being a college student. <laughs> like, that's how that would go. Uh, because I, I feel like MILF porn is done with people in their 20s. It's done with very young people and very young looking people, right? Yeah, well, I, I think um, I think I think MILF porn <laughs> is uh, mostly over 30. It's, I was about to say, and this brings us to our to our lovely guest today, Alice. Would you like to introduce Mercedes? Yeah, I would like to introduce Mercedes. So, <laughs> so uh, Mercedes Carrera, thank you so much for joining us today. So you seem to, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you specialize in MILF porn. Uh, well, I think that that's probably the category that I fit in the best is Latina MILF. So, and I think that's, that's true of like most performers and any kind of thing, you know, you know, kind of where you fit. So if you do country and Western music, you know, you play yeah. if you're uh, over 30, I'm, I'm uh, 35, I'll be 36 soon. And you see a better dermatologist than me, clearly. <laughs> I have a really good dermatologist. <laughs> I'm 35 as well. And I'm going to ask you for your dermatologist card as soon as this is done. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go to a really good dermatologist. <laughs> But anyways, uh, by the way, I had so as as soon as I announced that you were going to be on the show, I had so many of my guy friends who messaged me and said, you're interviewing Mercedes Carrera. I am a huge fan. (laughs) So uh, so I I apparently have a lot of guy friends who very much appreciate your work. And as and I've seen it and you you do it well. Thank you. I've still tried to figure out what the uh, what what the etiquette is before one of the podcasts when uh, you know when interviewing someone. Do we go to the work beforehand? If my, I've settled on if they send us the work, <laughs> go look at it because it's like there there seems to be an imbalance of who's seen who naked in these conversations. <laughs> so I'm like, now nah, if they say, hey, go look at this first, I'm like, all right, I will I will trot through goes going to see this somehow. I don't know how I will how I will carry on, but I will do this. And you do love work oh thank you well i think most of us are exhibitionists who are probably the industry (laughs) tell me tell tell me what you think of the freckles on my ass you know (laughs) i mean that that is how we got into this was we just we wanted to you know poke through all the stuff that we saw and all the little thoughts that we had when we were when we were watching this other than ooh nice <laughs> so you know if we ever did want to make people feel more comfortable after seeing them naked hypothetically but then again this wouldn't necessarily make people feel more comfortable we could send the, our guests photos of ourselves naked Eva. then w- it would be a literal tit for tat I, oh oh 
That's, hmm. oh? I was going to say, like I have, the closest I have come to naked pictures of myself online, there have been two things I would say that are close to it. One, there is a picture, I, I've posted x-rays of myself. I'm like, not, these aren't just naked, these are down to the bone. And I've also posted pictures of me. Once upon a time, I modeled latex on a runway and there are pictures of that on the internet. And I'm like, that's kind of, not just, that's not naked, that's BDSM-y. And some, I know someone out there has jerked <laughs> off to that and you're welcome. <laughs> You are welcome. So I think that's the closest I get to that. There are definitely some fine arts modeling pictures of me that are naked and you can't have them yet, internet. Can't have them. You know, I might break that rule in a few years, though. (laughs) Eva, we actually have subscribers and listeners now. So, you know, everything you just mentioned, people are going to be Googling. Yeah. And it's here's people listen to the show. Damn it. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. But it's I mean, who hasn't, you know, taken a naked picture of themselves in a former church on an altar holding on to a fire hose? I mean, who hasn't done that? Really? I think that that's a rite of passage. Yeah, exactly. Alice, you're on the list next. We're taking you through this. You know, we're going to be in Vegas in a few weeks together. So, uh, <laughs> oh, no, it was get a couple shots of tequila in me, bring me to a to an altar. There was plenty of them in Vegas. So uh, there, <laughs> we'll see what happens. There is a funny story behind how that I mean, that is an actual true story that happened. But you know what? This is not about me. Let's hop on to let, let's that was a kind of early story from the small period of time that I spent modeling. But this is not about me today. Mercedes, how did I? you know, how did you start up in the industry? What was, you know, what was behind that story? Tell us about it a bit. Okay. Well, (laughs) I certainly never set out to be a porn actress. I, uh, if you read my bios, you were an engineer because you were, because you're an engineer and it's like, we've spoken to uh, Ella Darling on the show and she's a librarian and we, we love that. We love that there's this diverse background here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what happened was I was a fashion model when I was a teenager. Uh, my dad was, he was like a savant with mechanics and pretty much anything. He could build anything. He could fix anything. Oh, wow. Uh, but he was not degreed. But he, he was with, uh, in the military and then he went for civil defense contractors. I grew up just in a garage tinkering with things. And like cool. my first, yeah, my first car was a Triumph Spitfire. We rebuilt it. We put the engine block. So I grew up around, you know, working class men who'd become engineers. My husband would love you so much more for the engineering than he would for your career that you have now. Yeah, you know, it's and actually I have a ton of really cool people I know online that are kind of in that mood that are like, I don't ever watch your work. I've just watched some of your interviews and some of the other stuff. But yeah, so I was kind of learned things with him. I decided to go back to school, end up in engineering. I, I was in the industrial engineering with a specialty in like quality assurance. But so I, what I ended up working in though was environmental test for spaced optical systems. So that means it's basically big cameras in the sky. And when you test them, you got to test them so that they make it through launch. You want to see uh, yeah. if they change in the refraction of the lenses as they heat wow. up and cool down. And when you're in space, you're talking the like cryogenic temperatures on one side and really, really hot temperatures on the other. So you'd end up with degradation or warping, stuff like that. Cleanliness is a big deal. So I worked in that for about five years. And then I worked in telco, telecommunications. And I was a voiceover IP trainer for about two years. And that actually was how I got linked into porn because my boss at the time was building websites for adult industry people. And I had a big server rack. That's how we hosted all of our training materials and and stuff like that because they did a lot of remote training. And at that time, they were transferring everything from like like 2000. Seven two thousand eight. So they're transferring everything from Lavelle over to uh, digital systems, etc. So I did that, and my boss said, "Hey, I need to use the servers on your rack." So 
I got acquainted with some of the back end of the adult industry. And then I ended up doing some AV production. So it's kind of like a long slide. But when you grow up in LA, you know a lot of people yeah. in a lot of different like entertainment industries. So I think all of us have kind of... Oh, yeah. So I have a friend who said, hey, why don't you perform? He's a kind of a director, content producer in uh, the adult industry. And I've known people in adult on and off for years just because of proximity. That's how LA goes. That's how it is. You just kind of make connections and end up wherever. So I did a scene. I thought it would be a fun bucket list. I didn't think much would come of it. I thought this is really fucking great, easy work and it's fun and you know, whatever. So some of it was that I guess I'd been an engineer, but it's not like I had been, I didn't leave an engineering job to, it was a series of events. Like I was doing audiovisual engineering by the time I ended up in the adult industry. So the really technical stuff I worked uh, early on in my career, I actually chose to get away from that because there's like two or three companies in the whole world that that kind of cryogenic testing. So if those programs go bad and these are 20 year, 30 year programs, these are strategic programs that are, you know, joint naval defense, stuff like that. Then they get canceled and you've been specializing in travology, which is the study of ball bearings in a cryogenic environment for, you know, space-based optical systems. Like where the fuck are you going to get a job? You can't do anything with it. It's a really specialized field. So that's how I kind of ended up in AV because people need that in LA. I love everything about that story. (laughs) I mean, it's one of the nutty side effects of science and specialization is that sometimes you learn so much about the one field that you're in that you kind of place yourself out of the job market. So you you end up in porn. I always tell people I went galt. Anyone who's read Ayn Rand's books, it's a tongue in cheek, but... (laughs) Nice. I was going to say, I will, I'll take that job. There are people who appreciate that job. I mean, it, it's interesting yes. to, to hear all the different stories about how people end up in the industry. Like, you know, there are people who wanted to break into it. And there, you know, there, there are definitely stories of people who are like, well, it's a living. But, you know, there's a wonderful kind of embrace of it. I love that. Oh, the industry is great. For me, it's been a lot of fun. But that's I came in with a really like strange skill set range. So it works. It's a really good field for if you have your head on straight. I can I can imagine. So I have to ask because you have a background in audiovisual engineering and you do porn films nowadays. So do you ever critique the sound quality or I don't know, do you ever like play back a movie and be like, oh, that's a weird bone that shouldn't have been there? Or I don't know. I- How could they not have fixed that in post? <laughs> Well, and I can get really nitpicky. I was diagnosed with Asperger's. Like I'm on the spectrum. So that was like 10 years ago or something. So we'll get along so well. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, my brain will go into hyper loop mode on this where it'll, why exactly, you know, the audio was reflecting on the back wall, like the whole time or whatever. But you know, it's porn. So I think that I've, you kind of learn to let some of that go because the cool thing about porn, and this is why it doesn't take, you know, 24 hours or something to shoot a TV show like it would for like CSI Miami or whatever. It's just that once yeah. the, the sex starts, the magic kind of happens and they just put cameras on it. So you're getting more of a real life, I think, experience. And um, it's, it's hard to be cr- critical because they're moving, they're moving with the unpredictable, you know? Yeah. And it, it's funny because we've been watching so far, like more parody porn, like to critique for this, we've been watching parody porn and stuff with plot lines. And like, I think when I'm watching the stuff that's really heavily scripted is like, God, was there stuff that was left on the editing, like on the floor in the editing room? Like what was, we want to see that What was their process? Was there a writer that had a dream of producing this? I, I want to, this line doesn't make any sense. What was, what, where were the deleted scenes? Was there another hole under here? I want to know. 
you know, those are, those are the things we go through as people who host a porn podcast. So it's like, I'm curious what the critiquing are from people in the industry. Speaking of CSI, um, I kind of want to see a CSI porn parody now, considering that uh, it's probably going to be, it has to exist and it's going to be enhanced, enhanced, enhanced on a, like a vulva. I feel like after the cum shot, there's going to be a moment where somebody goes, that's going to leave evidence. Like, that's a thing that could happen. Yeah, someone's going to yell at me for that joke, and I'm okay with it. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, other than the uh, occasional audio quality, are there things that you see happening in porn that you kind of look at and go, it's what was behind that decision? Like, there, there had to be things that kind of ping your brain when you see it that are different than somebody who hasn't been behind the scenes. When I watch a porn, usually if I watch a porn movie, it's because my friends are in it and I want to see it. Nice. That changes things a lot because it's like, oh, it's my friend Missy. I want to see her latest DP scene. <laughs> like, so I'm watching Missy yeah. get DP. And I'm like, and I'm going, girl, you killed your DP scene. So um, it, I think that it's still a pretty small community in terms of what's really commercial and who shoots in that world of really commercial. Um, gotcha. That makes film. sense. So we all kind of know each other so that colors things before you, you know you, i'm not watching it with fresh Which eyes it's kind of the opposite for me because uh, you know you're excited to watch a friend in a porn which makes sense because you're in this industry and you appreciate it for me i'm thinking now um you know i i, I end up watching some porn and i am like oh wait i know that actress oh wait it and for me considering i'm not used to seeing my friends in pornography I'm like, oh, wait, she's not. Oh, okay. I did not expect that to go in there. Um, And I feel like in a year from now, either I'm going to be over this or I'm going to have to just stick to amateur stuff. I it's confusing and weird for me. So it's great to hear that you're excited to see your friends uh, shoot scenes because hopefully I can get there. I think in general, in the industry, people, you know, it's work for people. So people get burned out. And they will, you know, go, I can't watch porn or they want to watch it for personal reasons. They they watch um, amateur porn. But, you know, the thing is for me, I've got all these friends that I really like fucking (laughs) on camera. So I like watching them in the porn because I fucked them and it was fun fucking them. So it's even more fun watching fuck other people that I also like. So it's kind of neat. (laughs) I I didn't get that one. I didn't get that move. That's a great way to think about it. It's almost like a sport then. Yeah, totally. These are all the little things I have kind of wondered about <laughs> before. This is why we have this. But no, it's, that's so wonderful. I love that. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, you know, here's a question. Is there a specific way that you kind of landed in your specialty? Because I feel like you look quite old enough to be, uh, you know, a 18 plus person stepmother or, you know, stepmother maybe, but not mother. So how does it work out that this is where you land? I think it's just, it's a demographic thing. I, I really could be, I really could be an 18 year old's. Well, I just realized that. (laughs) That realization was pointed out to me today by my old college roommate. She was like, yeah, when we went and got our nose pierced, it was 17 years ago. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was freshman year of college was 17 years and we're the same age. It's kind of neat, though, because, you know, aging is a privilege. It's denied to many people. So. It's kind yep. of a cool thing, you know, and I, and I, and I like, I like, uh, I like playing the milf roles. I think it's a lot of fun, especially with, you know, some of the young, the young guys and the young gals. I have a lot of fun being mommy on set. So uh, it's fun. You know, I mean, these people become your friends and, and your family in a way. 
because you get very well acquainted with each other. So I try to separate my personal life from the podcast to a point, but it's so to keep this light, I have dabbled in the BDSM universe. Uh, so it's like I, the people that you run into at these types of conventions, like you've seen some of their parts go into other people's parts and they're like family. It's just, it's a strange uh, universe, but it is what it is. And it's kind of wonderful. Like I have been at a party once where I have been sitting in a closet and somebody just kind of whipped out a tit and sprayed breast milk at people just because it was a, you know, it's like, well, there are boobs out anyway. Why not? So it's, <laughs> it's strange universe and fun universe. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's, you know, I think it's, it's not for everybody, but that's anything, you know, any performance art field, you know, usually when you get into pornography, the first questions that are tendered are, you know, the well-being and the mental health of the performers. And, you know, there's all these terrible examples, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the music industry and the in Hollywood have the same kind of outcomes, actually probably worse by the numbers because people are in for longer. And it's unfair to say, well, this performance art is really that much harder mentally on people because it's really not like that's why it doesn't bother me. I do approach it like a sport. I was a competitive boxer when I was in college and compared to boxing, doing porn is a cinch. I'm going to process that for a little while. That's fantastic. I'm trying to figure, is it in physicality or in mentality that they're, uh, that porn is easier mentally than boxing? Oh, it's across the board. I mean, c- compared to the kind of training that, that you would do just to compete as a boxer, just to compete. And I was, uh, this was back in 99, 2000, 2001. This when I got heavily involved and there were no female boxers at the time. It was a really, oh, wow. I, was like, I was like two in a gym and I was on an all-male team and uh, run five miles, go to school. I, I went to school worked and did this competitively. So, you know, I'm kind of an A-type, so whatever. But, you know, people say, oh, these horrible things happen to girls on set. I'm like, dude, you've clearly never been inside of a boxing gym, man. Because this is this is nothing. I mean, like really the porn, you know, sometimes we're a little uncomfortable. Sometimes we're a little colder, a little hotter than we'd like to be. But in terms of, you know, compared to real deal training, anyone who's been in the military, anybody who's done any sort of uh, physical labor will say it's I think, you know, there's this hysteria about porn, but we're really treated very well. It's, no, I think I said it reverse when I said it back to you. I thought I had just heard it as uh, as porn being the harder one to mentally. But no, that makes that kind of eases my mind that it's not, you know, not this horrible uh, state to be in, given the things that people either say or think about it. And I wonder if the things that people put on porn mentally when they're saying, you know, is this horrible thing taxes you, if it's something that people want to be true so that it's kind of more taboo or, you know, there there has to be a way that it's bad and dirty and horrible for the women involved. And that's just not the case. Right. Well, I mean, what they're doing is it's, you know, I think Jung would say they're transferring all of their guilt and shame onto some archetype. Right. So like we we are the porn whores. Right. So they kind of have to sacrifice <laughs> us in the collective conscious in order for them to absolve their guilt for having participated in a process and in a society in which we exist. Yep. 30 seconds after the orgasm is over and they've enjoyed your work, that is you go back into the box and you're bad. <laughs> Right, right. See, you know, we live in a modern era, so you can choose to interact with that mentality as much or as little as you want to. I just, I choose not to. I have fantastic fans and I have great experiences with people online. Nice. So I have to ask, based on some of the interviews that I saw, you seem to be very outspoken politically. Although when questioned about politics, I kind of love that in an interview you responded with, Someone ever asked if you would ever run for office. You said, even I'm not a big enough whore to be a politician. 
That is amazing. So please tell me, actually, I am really curious uh, regarding you politically, and I'm sure our audience is too. Um, so you have, I know, a charity operation, MILF. I don't know if that ties into anything of what you do or you speak about nowadays, but I'm curious. Tell me more. Yeah. So, well, Operation Wealth is um, it's a project I started for veterans of the U.S. military, well, the U.S. Armed Forces, actually, and Allied Forces. Uh, and it, it stands for Operation Military I'd Like to Fuck. So, basically, I have a, a big contingent of U.S. Marine Corps fans, a lot of military. I came up in a military family. I took a, uh, an Army uh, sergeant to the Avian Awards two years ago, or in a contest, and I took oh. him and his wife as my plus one. In the military, porn is a type of currency. Yep, it is. Yeah. So I started getting all these these emails from these guys. And, you know, a lot of them were really hot. And I was like, how do I fuck these guys? And then I thought, <laughs> I'll start a website and then I can fuck That's them. That's brilliant. You know, and then they get to fuck me, you know, and, and then they're happy and everybody's happy. So then they have something to look forward to once they get in and get, get out of the service. Or I am not supposed to film with members of the U.S. Armed Forces that are currently active. I'm just going to say that. But once they're out, they're fair game. That is the best version of the Make-A-Wish Foundation ever. <laughs> like, it's Disney World. No, 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 no. Yeah. Sex with Mercedes. Way better. You are fantastic when it comes to supporting the troops. That's amazing. Was there anything that launched that idea in your head? It was just, no, this is the thing I should do. It, you know, it was, I got, actually, to get more personal with it, I had a, I got a couple of emails in a row, you know, fate, synchronicity, I don't, I, you know, coincidence, whatever, from these guys who've been deployed who came back and were really depressed. And one of them uh, was suicidal and he, but his, so something about these JOI videos he was watching when he was deployed that uh, were of me, he started watching them when he got back to kind of like reacclimate himself. Like, from, like it was a familiar thing, you know, like comfort blanket or something, right? It's the thing you jerk off to when you have that two minutes in the train. You gotta understand these guys are in horrific situations. Their friends are dying. Yeah. And, um, you know, sexual release is an, an important part of the, the whole human. And uh, unfortunately the current military, which I understand that they're trying to make the women more comfortable who are serving. But when you make porn contraband, it contributes to a lot of other problems. So, you know, anyway, I thought, well, you know, it, these guys are cute. and Or some of them, I just felt like I wanted to give them a hug, you know, with my vagina. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Really, I mean, it was it was just it was just that, and it was. I've done a lot of work with the military community for a long time, so this is not anything new. But it was a new project. It's taken a little bit to find a forever home for the content because it's outside of the norm. But it's really neat. I love that. That's yeah. nice. So wait a minute. I was not aware that porn is considered contraband in the military. It is. It's no longer. It used to be. Now that you have greater representation of women. They feel it contributes to a hostile work environment. So I not understand that porn involves you having an orgasm without assaulting someone else. Yeah. You know, it's just if, if they have things out or if, if it's in a, a location that, that a female who's serving might be uncomfortable, you know, so there's a lot of rules about it. That's why, you know, in the past when they had male only uh, combat teams and, and Marine groups, platoons, then usually they were a little bit more permissive. But huh. uh, a lot of, a lot has changed in the military in the last 15 years. Uh, yeah. Huh. It's, I, well, that's unfortunate. It's, I, I have words for this whole thing, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about military policy to you know, let the soldiers have some goddamn porn. They're uh, protecting your freedom to do a lot of things, including watch the porn. Let them have the porn. Let them have the porn. I think that that's a necessary thing that, yeah. Say so we were about to dive into uh, your politics a bit and, and because, because we're so good at getting sidetracked, <laughs> I like to joke that I can interrupt myself. Uh, it's like, let's, let's go into that a little bit. Uh, Alice and I are kind of all over the place 
which political, where would you say you, you land? The, the irony is I'm actually a centrist. And so that's, that is actually controversial these days because I'm not going to pick one stupid party line and adhere to it no matter how stupid it is. So, <laughs> you know, I'm a libertarian. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in small government and, you know, stay the fuck off of, like all the regulations, all this bullshit that this bureaucracy that, that we live in right now. I'm all over the place. Like I get called a conservative by liberals and liberal by conservatives. So I don't make anybody happy with my political beliefs. We've both been in those positions. And I mean, I'm, I would say I'm fairly far to the left, but then I see bad regulations and I'm like, why, why? And, uh, and people are like, are you, are you a conservative? You're trying to you're trying to say regulate. I'm like, no, there are sometimes we don't think about the un- the unintended consequences of these things. Like, and here's a question for you. Like, are there regulations that hurt porn industry or like people trying to regulate it that have affected porn? Because I know a few years ago they tried to enact condom legislation in California. What did uh, how was that received? Well, uh, it didn't pass. So, you know, luckily the voters came out and they struck that down. Uh, the problem with it that I could see, and I think it, it was a matter of legal interpretation. This is part of the concern was by legislating the bodies of adult performers, you're effectively rendering them chattel of the employing entity because you're now regulating what it should be a right, a privilege, you know, a choice as to what level of protection we want. If I say, well, you know, all of your cattle have to be given this steroid. <laughs> all of your performers have to be, have to use these dental dams. It kind of, it, I think that was a real reason that it didn't pass. I think people go, yay, condoms are good. Yeah. You know, it's just it, when you're on a set and you're doing sex in yeah. unusual ways in mm-hmm. positions, it's actually a lot less comfortable. So that's a big part of the reason we didn't want it. It wasn't because we, I think the industry is against condoms. It's just that to perform with them is really, it, it's kind of like making like trapeze artists that start to slay wear helmets. So another thing actually about Prop 60 is it would have actually made, from what I'm aware of, film producers liable for violations and actually allowing any state resident to enforce the rules. So it's even crazier because, and I'm glad it didn't pass, since it would have allowed any Joe Schmo who's looking at a film, it seems like, uh, hey, that scene, it doesn't look like they're wearing a condom, that you could sue the production for it, which it just blows my mind that that was even on the table. Look, the guy who was at Weinstein, he's a real, his deal is making money off of these political issues. So he politicizes things that are non-issue. Like, for example, with the testing, and I think Weinstein runs the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. Now, the, the straight porn industry is not a public health risk. And there has not been an onset transmission of HIV in 12 years. Wow. The reason for that is, so initially, and you know, in the past, if you've ever gone for an HIV test, like 10 years ago, they say, oh, you know, you got to take a test, you wait three months, you take another test, right? What they're looking for in the blood is the antibodies. Well, yeah. the microRNA test that they use now looks for the virus, which means that it can be de- it can detect the virus in the blood before the viral load is transmissible. So oh. usually, so if you get HIV, there's a period of time where the virus replicates in the body and eventually it hits some tipping point. It's now transmissible and now it's a risk, right? But the way that we test with the microRNA, it looks for the virus itself as opposed to the antibody. And so we catch HIV as it enters the industry. There's a, you know, like, let's say, you have to look at the white papers on anywhere from two to four weeks, buffer zone on how long it takes for that viral load to become transmissible. But the current testing protocol pretty much mitigates any of those risks. Now, on the flip side, in the porn industry, the bigger problems would be like chlamydia 
gonorrhea. Occasionally those um, through syphilis is one that actually really scares me more than HIV. Syphilis luckily is, I mean, it, it has not gotten resistant to penicillin. It's almost impossible for it to get resistant. Resistant gonorrhea, on the other hand, has happened. And that scares, I mean, I'm married now and I'm not, I'm, le- I am, that has significantly reduced my fear of STDs. But like when that's a scary one, resistant gonorrhea. Ah. Oh. Yeah, they're really good at, in the industry. They test as soon as if somebody comes up with gonorrhea, they hit on the hardest protocol right away. So they did have that a couple of years back. What's the hardest protocol? It's usually uh, some sort of combination of like a back trim with some sort of injectable penicillin. Yeah, to m- just make sure you can get every possible issue with, with the bacteria. Got it. Yeah. So kind of make all of us, like if somebody comes up from gonorrhea and it seems like it's possible they have it, they hit hard and fast right away. So, I mean, that's, I was, we've managed to cover both, you know, the end results of the regulations and safety in the industry. One last question on that. Is there any concern over hepatitis? Because that one is fairly uh, easy to transmit. I I don't hear any concern about it. I know that San Diego had a big hepatitis outbreak because of, I think one of the homeless shelters, I think they were dropping off prisoners like in the I don't know what they call it in San Diego. It's like Skid Row there. And so hepatitis broke out in that population and in the local homeless population in LA. So I think there's been an upsurge in people getting their necessary vaccines or the boosters. But, you know, we don't, there shouldn't be any blood contact. If there is, we, we cut immediately. I know like one, one of the labs I worked in had worked with certain bodily fluids. We had to get our, our hepatitis vaccines right away just in case. So this is your public service announcement to please make sure you've gotten your vaccines and your boosters, people. We want you to go out and fuck safely. Uh, so that's just my little, I'm a sciencey person and I have to, you know, spout that off to people whenever I can. So I was going to say, Alice, uh, how are you doing over there? Oh, well, I was actually just about to say, I realize that a lot of people may not be aware of how people are tested within the industry from, to my knowledge, the performers, they pay out of pocket and do a test once every two weeks. Does that sound about right? Yeah. So we have, um, every, every test is good for 14 days. The industry standard is two weeks. The industry put itself on these standards. It did not need the government to create the standards because, you know, in the era of liability insurance, it makes sense for companies to also protect themselves and and people who work for them. So, you know, I think this idea that the porn industry is just being negligent is nonsensical and it comes from a different era. So what are some of the things they test for? Anything that's bacterial. Trick, chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV, syphilis, hepatitis. And I think there's one more that I can't recall offhand because luckily nobody gets Definitely it. Definitely not HPV. Yeah, they don't test for HPV or herpes. I mean, 80% of the college population has HSV one or two anyway. So, it, I mean, that's yeah. an immunity thing. I do know people who've gotten herpes in the industry and it never calmed down. And I know people who worked in the industry for 25 years and have never gotten it or carriers. So it's an immune system thing. Interesting. And I mean, that's the thing with uh, with herpes at this point. Like, I think people aren't some people aren't aware. The biggest uh, complication with herpes is really the embarrassment factor, and there is there is a bit of a social stigma on it. But in terms of your overall health, long term complications from it, herpes really isn't something that will complicate your life. It's not, uh, you know, it's not treatable. But after uh, the first year or so with it, it really does calm down. For most people, I had a partner with it a long time ago, and he didn't have an outbreak the entire time we were together. We used condoms. It was fine. So if you use condoms, if you have a partner who has it, you probably and don't uh, have sex when they have an outbreak, you should probably be fine just for our viewers at home. 
Well, for our viewers at home as well, uh, so speaking of the stigma thing, actually about two-thirds of the world's population, 67% has actually some form of herpes. It's generally a type 1, HSV-1, and that's according to a report from the WHO. What it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, the porn industry is, for the most part, fairly self-regulating, which is exceptionally impressive. Yeah. Going back to being a libertarian, what policies should people be aware of? I know that earlier on this year, there was a bit of a problem with I saw FOSTA being passed. So I don't know how much that has affected anyone's work. I know that has, I think, affected predominantly mostly people who use it as an escort service. I don't know if you want to touch on that at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, SESTA and and FOSTA and there's I know there's a huge outcry right now about this and I'm concerned about it, but I'm not. It's a matter of enforcement. Mm -hmm. I'm not a sex worker per se. Like I'm not an escort. So I have escorted. I have. I don't regret it. They were all great experiences, but it's not something I currently do. So I don't think my work falls into that category. But, you know, it's like anything. I mean, when you start seeing this kind of scope creep from any sort of government, any administration, I I think we have bigger fish to fry right now. You know, ongoing wars on terror. I mean, how many fucking decades do we need to be in the Middle East? I look at kind of like military policy standpoint. Maybe it's my years in aerospace that have me think of politics that way. Like right now, I'm more interested in what's happening in the South China Sea than I am with, with what's happening in Trump's administration because I don't really give a fuck about reality TV. Not interested. What's going on in the South China Sea? Let's have a discussion about that. And this is, you know, it, I was reading an article and I'm not an expert in this by any means. So don't quote me. Probably the only person who holds a political office that I have any real reverence for is uh, General, retired General James Mattis of the U.S. Marine Corps. Yeah, he's currently the head of the Department of Defense, as you know. Did you have a clearance when you were working in aerospace? I did. I had an SSBI special programs oh, as well yeah. as the DOD top secret. Mine was just a, was was just secret. I'm lowly secret clearance. They spent they spent a lot of money on my clearances. I you know my mom had worked in aerospace back in the 70s too, so I came from a family that did that. Oh wow! So it was they gave me a lot of clearances, but it was a bad time in the markets. You know, I think had I been born 20 years earlier, I probably would have just worked at Boeing my whole life and. You would have been the goddamn sexiest aerospace engineer ever. So there, it's, it would have been a waste of talent. That's the way I thought it. Look, I would say if we are if we are going to support the industry, we have to look at the talent where it is. I'm happy with my life choice, but you know, it's it's everything in life is a is there's a lot of factors, and so you have different outcomes based on the choices you make. I'm okay with the choices I've made, but other people might not be. So yeah. So anyway, back to the South China Sea. We were. China's, there's a lot of scope creep. They're actually building artificial islands in international waters. They've been doing this for years. They do a lot of uh, missile testing off the coast of Japan. They're doing what a good naval force should do. But if you look at the numbers and the type of technology that they have invested in in the last 10 to 20 years, they are slated to outpace our U.S. Navy in capacity by the year 2030. Now, that's a huge problem. It's terrifying. And, and also, we, we got on a predictable schedule. Look, I mean, we're dealing with basically Rome in its last days right now. We're enforcing the world. We've got a bloated bureaucracy. And luckily, Mattis is saying, hey, we need to change how we do deployment schedules, make them less predictable, allow people more time home with their families and less time out being deployed, doing nothing. So the U.S. Navy seems to be making some big changes on that. And I think that's a really good thing, because if something doesn't change in terms of aggression, there will be war. That's how debts are settled. And we have a lot of debt to China. Yeah, I'm not sure. This is me showing my my economic 
lack of knowledge and lack of study, I guess, or lack of vigor in the subject, I think is the word I'm looking for. But I'm sure the tariffs aren't helping the situation. Like my our debt is going up. Like there are so many things that aren't helping with our world relations. And like the entire thing is kind of worrying me. Or it's it's literally designed to entertain people. And you know, you there was um as in 2011, they repealed, it was an act that was designed to protect American citizens from foreign news propaganda. It's propaganda that's written for foreign markets, I should say. So the CIA for a long time disseminates information all over the globe. I mean, that's, and that's not like a, a conspiracy theory. It's just what intel agencies do anywhere in the world for any country, right? But when that act changed, it allowed for them to basically disseminate propaganda domestically. So a lot of what you're seeing, it's the monetization of chaos. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, it hurts me because I mean, I work as a journalist and I, I want to tell people, no, you can hear the people that you can trust some of us and the, we're doing it. And then like, I want to be able to trust some news sources. And once upon a time, even if, you know, it, it, the presentation of it was like a little to one direction or the, or the other, I could trust, you know, one of the big three networks. And now I feel like every headline is this person does shocking. Th-. I'm like, not if it's all shocking, none of it's shocking. It's like whether or not it's propaganda. Propaganda, it's all uh, it, it's all so overblown that I don't know what the signal is and what the no- and what the noise is. Yeah, I think that you know when you get to that point, people shut down, and that's part of what's happening right now. Or they get angry over things they don't understand, which is not productive. Because if we're unhappy with something that's happening right now, then the rational thing to do is go, okay, how can we change this in the next election cycle, in the next two years, in the next four years? Let's create a long term strategic plan. But right now, I see a lot of people holding their breath and pissing and moaning. Like, look. It, it, we're all subject to the executive branch, however it manifests itself in four and eight year increments. <laughs> but that's not a reason to, to be generally unhappy in your life, you know? I was going to say, I'm curious if we were to re-implement something as, I mean, we used to have the FCC Fairness Doctrine. Uh, it was eliminated in 1987. It was originally introduced in 1949. Basically, it was a policy that held the holders of broadcast licenses responsible to present controversial issues to the public in a manner that the FCC viewed as honest, equitable, and balanced. But I'm wondering, would that solve some of the, quote, fake news issues that we're having nowadays? And the answer is, I'm not completely certain, because then wouldn't it be the government deciding what's fair and balanced? But I don't know. I mean, it's only fair and balanced if fair and balanced people are handling it. And who the fuck do you trust to handle that? Exactly. Well, it's also, you know, it's, it's like anything. Like, so cultures and societies tend to evolve with their technology. For example, there was no need to protect the right to free speech until the printing press was invented. And the reason for that is the only people who could disseminate information were the clergy. So there was absolutely no need to protect the written speech of other people, you know, the, the proletariat, the plebeian, however you want to say that. So I think what you're seeing right now is we're dealing with a new medium, which is the internet. And just now, probably within a generation, two generations now, we're seeing it at its capacity, right? There will be improvements, but it's, it kind of does what it's going to do, right? So right now, how do we legislate that? How do we say this is what's allowed? This is what's disallowed. This is what requires a disclaimer. So and this is where you start, you get into intellectual property law and a lot of that. So you're, I think you're seeing a, a civilization that is still dealing with the repercussions of their increases in technology that have been very rapid. Yeah. It, I mean, it's still kind of wild west for a lot of things. Like I have friends who are in Bitcoin and they're like, yep, wild west. And I mean, I feel like it's the same thing with the internet. Cause even though some things feel really settled, it's like, don't you guys remember like five, six years ago, we still 
still used MySpace occasionally. Like there are these big things that we think of as giants all the time. So it's like we can't, you know, I, I don't want to think of anything on the internet as being, you know, settled and stable or able to be legislated for because who knows if it's going to be gone soon. And it's like, it's not, well, it's not that it's not able to be discussed uh, legislatively. It's just, eh, there are so many things that can have unintended consequences that legislation has to be careful. I was just going to say, it makes complete sense because the problem is, and I like to think we are, or, you know, the internet became what it is because for the most part, it has been fairly neutral and which this is why we need net neutrality because it helps basically say that we're going to continue allowing people to compete and, you know, not have a leg up, you know, just because they're beholden to a specific network or telecom. But that said, I remember we spoke previously about FOSTA and SESTA. One of the unintended consequences of actually FOSTA and SESTA, most people don't realize, is that what it actually does is it's a much bigger issue on free speech than people make it out to be. So what it was originally four was legislating so that way you know um, these places on the internet that where people were you know offering their services escorting services would be shut down it was mainly to protect from child trafficking or so it said it was to protect from child trafficking but really we know what they were trying to do the problem is it actually clamps on free speech more than it does on anything else because what it does is it ultimately makes the cdns and websites accountable for the content their users are posting and that's an issue Consider this. Consider if the Internet Archive, Wikipedia. Yeah, like is WordPress responsible for the content that, you know, zillions of people on it are posting? Is Facebook responsible for the content that people are posting? That's, yeah, I think that's a big question. Right. This is where we're at. Exactly. And that's the problem because think of what it would take to become a Facebook nowadays if after FOSTA and SESTA have been approved, uh, which they have been, you then have to end up monitoring all of your users and the costs associated with that. I mean, it's absurd. You would never be able to have websites that become as big as the Internet Archive, Facebook, Wikipedia, because of all the preliminary costs that they're going to have to invest in. So instead, they're going to end up censoring a lot of lawful speech and lawful content inadvertently because of that, just because they have to trend on the side of being wary because they don't want action enforced against them. Right. This is where, you know, it's like anything. When you start looking at new technology, the main issue is the liability. So if, you know, Craigslist hosts a personal section and some underage runaway prostitute gets killed by an axe murder, historically, there would be no precedent to say, okay, well, you know, we're going to hold them liable. But now there would be. And it's rational for a company to say, okay, well, let's scrub all of that. I don't even want to deal with the liability on that. It's an illegal action anyway. So I don't want to deal with it. And that's, I think, what you're seeing. You're just seeing, because, you know, free speech is a, it's a guaranteed right per the United States government. But that doesn't mean that privately owned platforms are, are responsible to uphold that standard. And they don't. And they don't have to. It's asking far too much of the companies, really. You're going to see is you're going to see them design it in a way that there are no outpoints. I mean, that's what I would do if I owned one of them. I'd sit down with the legal team and I'd say, what can I put on here that will get me zero liability? What it comes down to is we should be able to treat the internet and our websites and CDNs much like we would treat a road, make it accessible to everybody, but hold the users accountable for uh, the infractions that they do. So, you know, if you you're not going to hold a road accountable for the people who do the accidents, you're going to hold the people accountable. And we already have the technology and the 
I'm personally going to pour enough KY jelly onto every single road that, so that everyone is going to just unable to drive on it now. Are, are you investing in that 55-gallon drum of lube already? <laughs> Fuck yes. I'm going to invest in, in tons of them just to stop everyone from using the roads, and that way no one will have accidents. Because they're going to be too busy lubed up. <laughs> And see, like per like per your example, the thing is that that you know people are creating little cul-de-sacs basically of activity. So the road owner is saying, "Hey, you know, it's happening in this cul-de-sac. We know it's illegal. The problem is, you know, it's the enforcement. It's the task force stuff. Like like realistically, our police are completely overwhelmed right now as it is. So you're you're adding a layer of criminalization to something that really ought not be criminalized." Yeah, it's like this is not where the human tra I'm guessing this is not where the human trafficking, the type that they really were trying to get to, was taking place. I mean, I get it. There were probably people advertising on those sites who were not 18, but most of the people who were advertising on there were, you know, were, were sex workers who were above the age of 18 who were doing this in a much safer way than they were when they were uh, literally on on a you know the streets trying to uh, trying to work. And then FOSTA SESTA doesn't just you know it, it it undermines one of the most important rules on the internet, and it really does put people who are doing sex work at risk. There's not this does not do anything yep. helpful. The timing's suspicious with the Stormy Daniels thing, and then suddenly there's an all-out government att- assault on on sex work kind of in whole and. and you know, and people look, I don't really care for Trump. Like I, I, to me, I mean, he's the same Trump that was an asshole in the 80s. So I'm not really surprised why anyone's shocked by his behavior. But but if he does get impeached and we end up with Pence. And I think that so, you know, there needs to be a when we get in these conversations about a lot of this stuff. It's like, how do we basically stall this for the next couple of years? I mean, ideally, if both of the horrible people could be removed, that would be delightful. And I'm aware that, you know, if hypothetically they were both Pence and Trump going to be replaced by another Republican, you know, there will still be Republican policies for the next two years or whatever it is at this point. But it'd be really nice and really nice at a bare minimum if we didn't have someone who could cause an international crisis via Twitter, you know, just bare minimum, not asking for much. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you know, people wanted reality TV and so they got it. And, you know, this is what happens when you have people who want to be entertained as opposed to seeking value. I mean, if you realistically, the only person who probably is suited uh, (laughs) to run the country right now is General Mattis, because the the rest of these sycophants in government are pretty much waste of space. Every single fucking last one of them without term limits. These these people like I'm like, I don't even know what you do all day. So these representatives, you know, so. I think that you, like this is a big systemic issue and it's coming to a head because this one happens to be really bombastic. But TV stations love it. Look at how much money they're probably making on advertising every time Trump makes some, you know, gaffe. You know, for so many reasons, I loved Michelle Wolf's speech at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. One of the things she did um, was she also called out the liberal side of the press for making a killing off of whatever they write about Trump. And I wonder, and it's normally on years when they rose to whoever's president, whether it be liberal or conservative, there's some giggling. But this year when she roasted the liberal press to a point, and I don't want to say all the press is liberal, but she roasted the liberal leaning parts of the press and that's how she was torn to shreds. And that really bothers me. It's like, guys, you have to admit when you've done wrong and you did wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's, you know, this is the thing with government, with politics right now is it's just it's very polarized and there's a lot of money to be made in the polarization. So. No, and it it was funny. There was a a blog entry that I read the other day that had just something about the horseshoe theory. And I saw somebody very far to the left say, you see everything on the left being equated as everything to the right. I'm like, 
no, they're talking about the people who are as crazy as Alex Jones. And some of those, some of those exist on the left. But it's like, I, I'm not saying that you need people all that are around the, uh, the the center. But man, if people can't talk, that's a problem. It is a problem when people can't talk. We end up only widening our differences and not being able to focus on what really matters and the commonalities we all have. You know, like watching porn. Pornography is free speech that we all love. And I'm just saying for any of you that are not in the basket of thinking that you need to help stand up for this type of speech, you're, I was going to say, you're probably standing at attention for it right now. So please, so please stand up for your, for the free speech of of pornography. It deserves uh, your love and it's getting your love regularly. So I think now is a good stopping point as any because unfortunately, guys, due to technical difficulties, we lost Mercedes. Um, probably our first time, and hopefully last, that we've ever lost a porn star. Uh, you guys can find out more information and you know see a lot more of Mercedes' work uh, and the stuff she's releasing on Twitter at the Mercedes XXX. You can also find out more information in the next few weeks when she launches OperationMilf.com. And we're going to have her back actually to speak about a scholarship fund she's starting uh, for people uh, who are wanting to pursue STEM careers. Um, We definitely want to have her back to speak more on that when she launches it. So we're really excited. And as soon as we find out more information, we're going to give it to you guys as well. So Yvette, where can our listeners find you? You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at, at the Cybabe, and I'm over at Facebook at facebook.com slash Cybabe. Uh, and Alice, where can our listeners find you? People can find me on Twitter at Rational Blonde. However, our listeners can also interact with us on Patreon. Uh, Patreon, we like to give you guys updates on upcoming guests. Uh, we like to share what's going on in our lives, what we're trying to do for y'all. As well as, you know, we love the people who support us, Brian and John and Joshua, Wendy, Ryan, Samuel, Snarky Vet, Chris, Brody, Alec, Michael, uh, other Chris. And that's at patreon.com slash two girls, one mic. And we're really going to make an effort uh, to produce original and exclusive content for our Patreons. Actually, we are both going to be at CSICon in Vegas from October 18th to 21st. So if you happen to be in Vegas during that time, you might have an opportunity to meet us, uh, maybe join us in a live recording as well. We're going to try producing some awesome content for you guys while we're there, maybe even some video content. You can catch us as well as Yvette. She will be speaking at CSICon. Like I said, October 18th to the 21st. You can find out more information at csiconference.org. Thank you. And I would say thank you to our, uh, to our patrons. Please, uh, if, you have, if you have more of our lovely porn actors that you want us to have on the show, please let us know because this was, a, this was a great interview. We loved having Mercedes on. Let us know who else you want us to interview and we will have them. We will, we will attempt to get them on the show. And by the way, uh, please share the word about our lovely little porn cast. And if you can't be a Patreon, that's totally fine. Share the word. Give us a five-star review. Totally helps us. Thanks again for tuning in this week. We'll see you guys soon.